0: Hi, this is Sarah Tebow, and this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the SideWoo podcast. This is a space to investigate what
1: makes a creative life possible, from the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical.
0: Welcome to the SideWoo.
1: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of 2023. I hope you had a delightful New Year's. As we mentioned in our last episode, we recorded this conversation with Cody Blair, this week's guest, mere minutes after doing our call with Shannon. So if you are catching up, might I recommend listening in chronological order? Um, In general, I think our podcast goes very well in chronological order because we're kind of on this like journey and we're finding out new things all the time. But, you know, you do whatever you want to do. Just listen, enjoy a bit about our lovely guest of the week, Cody Blair. He is a multi-talented, multi-hyphenate spiritual worker. He is an LGBTQIA psychic medium Wiccan, who is a spiritualist minister and ex-Mormon from Texas, y'all. Yes, yeehaw. He is a lovely, knowledgeable human being, and it was a pleasure just to talk to him about just grazing the tip of the iceberg in terms of what he has experienced in mediumship and his knowledge of, you know, reincarnation. He talks a little bit about a past life that he had. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. With that, I will leave you to the show. And as usual, feel free to reach out at thesidewoo at gmail.com and send us your thoughts, questions, comments. Anyway, that's it. On with the show. We have Cody Blair on our podcast today, who is, maybe you could explain your titles, because I know you're a reverend of the Spiritualist Church, is that right?
2: Yeah, so I am a ordained minister within the spiritualist movement. I'm a certified medium. I am a certified spiritualist healer. Is that as far as we want to go right now?
1: Yeah, maybe you can explain to the average Joe listener, like, what does that mean?
2: Sure. So I started out in this journey a long time ago. I'm getting a little older now, and it's really kind of interesting to f- see how much road has been traveled. <laughs> uh, so I did some education. I studied with a mentor minister having the privilege of growing up in and around the spiritualist movement. My grandmother was a a medium. She was also a spiritualist minister who had a hybrid type of spiritualist church that mixed elements of Catholicism and spiritualism. I don't know how deep we'll get into that, but I trained under her for a number of years in Texas.
1: Okay. And does that make a difference?
2: It really doesn't, because spiritualism, just like any other religion, has multiple denominations. So regardless of whether you're Christian and you're Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, whatever, you're still under the umbrella of Christianity. The same thing with, like, Wicca, whether you're Gardnerian, Alexandrian, fairy, whatever, you're still ultimately Wiccan. The same thing with spiritualism. The largest organization in this country is the National Association of Spiritualist Churches. The NSAC, and they're the largest group, but there's still a lot of denominations within the spiritualist world. Got it.
1: What's your sign?
2: Oh, my sign! I'm an Aries. My sun sign is Aries, very
1: fiery. And what do you know? What your rising and your moon are?
2: Okay, so my moon is Sagittarius. Interesting.
1: You are fiery.
2: Uh huh. Ask anybody; they'll tell you. And my rising is cancer.
1: Oh yeah. Oh,
2: that's nice. Yeah. So I can be a little emotional too.
1: Got it. Just all emotions <laughs> in your face all the time.
2: <laughs> Pretty much. It's very very hot, and then it's like I describe myself as a firecracker. So and then you
1: put yourself it out. It
2: explode very quickly, and then I cool down very quickly as well. So that's cool. Thank you for sharing. Yeah.
1: Maybe you could just talk about where you're at right now in your life spiritually. And, you know, that can be tied in with your witchcraft that you do. But yeah, and just with the idea that probably most of our listeners are in between, like, witch curious slash ghost curious and practicing. So I wouldn't say that we probably have an audience with active mediums who know a lot about it.
0: And can I add one slant to the question? sir? I think that was a perfect question for starting, but I was listening to you on a podcast yesterday and I loved hearing all the explanations about like wh- why you're spiritualist church. Do you say church? Spiritual? I am
2: moving away from church right now. Um, honestly, I feel like church is a very loaded term. So I like to deal more with like centers or spiritual communities rather than church. It feels so, it feels better. Yeah.
0: But sort of how your personhood and where you are at emotionally and intellectually now intersects with your spiritual expression as a spiritualist minister, because I feel like we've had a lot of on the show people in, in beautiful ways discussing what is spiritualism and what is its history and, and what conversation does it bring to the table. But I'm also really curious, like, what does it bring to your
2: specific table? Yeah.
0: In, in the moment, internally. Yeah. And
1: internally. Yeah. I'm on board with that too.
2: You know, so for me, spiritualism, what it brings to my table. And for me, I will say that spiritualism was the entrance drug if you will into the metaphysical life I had the privilege of being raised around it and and that really is a privilege being raised around that particular religion it opened the door though for so many more vast spiritual experiences and I'd like to go into that a little bit so just a very brief history I believe that spiritualism, shaped uh, who I am today as an individual because, first and foremost, for me, life is continual. There is never a time where life will not be. I recognize myself and others around me as eternal beings. And as eternal beings, we also are interconnected. And so my interaction with other individuals, I see as an interaction with myself. And so to break that down, you know, as a spiritualist, the one thing that we all can agree on, the multiple denominations, is that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the major thing that we can all agree on. Everything else is just fluff. You know, you may have one spiritualist group that believes in reincarnation and another one that does not. As a matter of fact, that's probably the most divisive issue right now within the spiritualist movement is... Belief in or rejection of reincarnation, to be perfectly honest.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. Why does it have to be consistent? Does it have to be a defining feature? It can be like spiritualism. Some people say yes, some
2: people say no. Who cares? I think this is the interesting thing, Liz, is that the vast majority of spiritualists, if you ask them, do they believe in reincarnation, they would say absolutely. Okay. But we're not going to take the jump to tie our church into this. Mm. Now, we'll tie our church into spirit communication. We'll do all these other woo-woo things. But when it comes to reincarnation, we are not going to saddle that pony yet.
1: Which is interesting. And to your point, Liz, like the reason I would want consensus is similar to believing that there's life after death if you believe that there is, then someone saying that there isn't is like saying the world is flat or like that vaccines don't work or something, you know? So it's like, Mm. I want consensus because once you believe it's true, you won't accept someone who is basically telling lies, you know, not that I don't give birth to people who need more space to figure out what they want to believe is true or how they want to engage with it. But I mean, are there parts of the spiritualist churches that they actually say it's not true. Yes. They do. Yeah. And so, I mean, that would be for me where the contention is, is like, if you just say that it's not, and I believe that it is.
0: I have to say, my mind is a little blown because... (laughs) In my head, I would have thought that, like, the contention itself was an inherent part of spiritualism because, in my mind, it's so cool to have, like, you believe this, you believe this. I don't know. I, I mean, I believe nothing and everything. And, you know, my lack of defining it has always been a curiosity without intellectual buy in, has always been a part of. But I would have thought that something that was so trying not to be hierarchical, that was so democratic, would be like democratic also about the doctrine that had to be incorporated into belief in order to fully participate, I guess.
2: I think that that would be that's a natural outgrowth of thought, I think. However, it's a misunderstanding to believe that spiritualism is non-hierarchical. I will not name any organizations because I don't want to get sued, but (laughs) I would say that the major hangup is with reincarnation, that particular idea. The reason why the churches are hesitant to embrace it as a truth that they're going to promulgate to the world is because uh, twofold. There are some old school spiritualists that do not see a need for reincarnation. They believe that because we are not physical, we are spiritual, and we continue on after the change called death. That's actually one of the principles that after the change called death, we continue to move on. We do not need a physical body to grow, to Mm -hmm. learn, to advance. So they would say, you know... We're having a physical experience right now, but this is just a very small part of our sum total, our sum whole. And then there will be some that will shy away from it because there are old beefs between the American style of spiritualism and the French style. And there's been a separation, but you can clearly see everything outside of America continue to grow because I believe that they were a little bit more open to some of these questions. And America's growth flatlined. Mm-hmm. And so now there are a handful of spiritualist churches throughout this nation. And I would venture to say if there were 10,000 actual spiritualists in this country, I would be surprised.
1: Interesting. And you think because it just became too rigid that people are dropping away from...
2: I think that the idea of hierarchy is becoming more and more repugnant to people. And that the democratic process is a spiritual process. You talked about developing consensus. That's how I believe, because and now I'm leaning into more of the witchcraft side of things, how covens make decisions. It's by consensus. You know, no, there are no big eyes and little U's. Everybody has to be on board. Mm-hmm. And that can be like herding cats. But I think the move away from hierarchy and the move away from these old, outdated, antiquated church structures that are built in Judeo-Christian rigidness are falling out of favor. And so any organization that does not move away from that, I believe, is doomed to failure.
1: Probably served a purpose at some point when they were trying to establish credibility, and the only model that they had was the judeo-christian churches or synagogues and to be taken seriously in establishing an alternate religion maybe we do have to create structure around it that mimics the mainstream culture You,
2: you would be absolutely correct and the fact of the matter is the fox family the fox sisters they were devout methodists so when you walk into a spiritualist church especially in this country it's going to feel very protestant low church very Protestant, you know, up until about 20 years ago, we were required to have a Bible on the podium. I mean, we didn't use it, but it was there.
0: Well, I mean, I'm Jewish, but in Judaism, you don't need an intermediary between you and God. It's just like you you've got the direct line. Like you're and anywhere all the time, like in the bath, whatever you're doing you can just hook it up. This concept of consensus, I'm still surprised that it wouldn't be okay just to hold competing concepts of what is.
2: You can hold the competing concept. You just cannot teach it from the platform. Why not? Every person is allowed their own personal belief. But when it it is a way for the organizations. Now, I think, being a historian myself, if we look back at the history of why spiritualist churches even came to existence in the first place, there were two reasons. The first reason was to promulgate this understanding that life was forever, right? The second, and probably the most important reason, was to combat fraudulent mediums. Organizations were established because every person that had a shiver or a shake, they Claim themselves a medium and they put a shingle outside their door saying as much and they were taking in as much money as possible. Well, these early organizations said, no, there's got to be some type of qualifying these workers to work.
1: Governing body.
2: Yeah, some type of governing body. But that translates today to an overhanded, top-down approach that says, oh, that's so cute that your local church wants to do this, but that's out of step with what we term is spiritualism. And there are a couple of bodies out there that try to be the, for lack of a better term, orthodox spiritualist church that tries to tell you, this is what a spiritualist is, and this is what is not a spiritualist. And and I think it's preposterous.
1: Yeah, because at some point, like, where are those other people going to go if they're having this experience of talking to earthbound spirits or they are doing readings and like all this past life information comes up. Well, you're just basically kicking them out of the church, you know? Yeah, that is interesting that they take yeah. such a hard line. I, I,
2: I was removed from an organization for my stance on reincarnation. I believe that my experience with spirit has satisfied my inquiring mind enough to say that I have enough information that has come through mediumship sessions and things of that nature to say that I believe that reincarnation exists. And then not to mention studying some of the French spiritualist information codified by a man named Alan Kardec, he very clearly, using many mediums over decades— these spirits continued to pull through information about the plurality of existences. And so I believe that there's enough info there. If you want to look, it just might be outside of your particular camp.
0: One of the most interesting things that I've just learned recently about reincarnation, and I have no idea where I stand on it or any of it, but one of the most fascinating things has been The idea of looking to past lives to work through things that happened in past lives in order to muscle through psychological blocks in your present life. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, do you have a personal experience with that, with like something that you had a block with in your present life that you were able to move through?
2: Yeah, I have things that are from previous lives that I have not even been able to move through yet. um, I will say that, yes, to answer your question. What? What? Oh my gosh.
1: We're big on reveals. Reveal.
2: Well, let me reveal this right now. I will do almost anything as long as a bird is not involved. I have a deep abiding fear Of all things, you have
1: a phobia. No, that's so interesting. I have a
2: phobia. And I know that this is in direct relation to a past life experience. I've seen it very clearly. I had it revealed to me in a mediumship session because I'm going to say it for everybody that's out there, just because you've worked as a medium and done platform work and all of that, I have a medium that I go to all the time. I don't do readings for myself. I love it. I want them to look in for me because me looking in on myself can be clouded by my own prejudices.
1: Totally. And it just feels like nice. It's someone giving you a massage instead of you rubbing your own
2: shoulder. <laughs> exactly. So I do have a deep abiding fear there that's still there. And that is a direct result of a past life experience. Nothing happened in this life. What
1: happened though? Uh, what was the past life thing that happened?
2: I saw myself and this was a reoccurring dream that I had for a number of years. Early In my ministry as a medium, I would have this reoccurring dream that would happen, oh, two, three, four nights a week where I was tied up to this pillar that, for lack of a better word, kind of like sandstone or it was a crumbly type of stone, but also very solid. And I was tied up with other people and I had like tattered rags on and these big, large birds of prey would come and harass us. But I can remember just being so very thirsty and my lips cracking and all of that. As I would look down at my hands, I would see that my hands were very brown and they looked very feminine. So very, very slender fingers. I also had some type of blue or turquoise bracelet on. And I could not fathom why I was out here on this like pillar type thing. But I don't know if you've ever seen... The old ships with the crow's nest in the top. So it felt very much like that. And I would have this dream and then all of a sudden there would be this big bird bouncing towards me and I would be trying to kick it away, but I was so weak that it was hard for me to shoo it away. And This was a recurring nightmare. It was just awful. And then some of the dreams, the bird would be on me (laughs) and tearing at my clothes and things of that nature. I had never seen anything like this in my life. I didn't know where it came from. And then in a history class, I was told about a Middle Eastern practice of stylists, these basically platforms in the desert. Yeah, like Mesopotamia. Yeah, so they would they would be there, and some people would be condemned to die on these of starvation, and then naturally the birds of the air are going to come and do what birds will do.
1: So when you saw this in class, were you just like, did the light bulb go off, or
2: not really until you know we began to talk about capital punishment in the ancient world. And there were several interesting ways it was done. And in this, I wouldn't even say Middle Eastern, maybe like Mesopotamian or like Mediterranean style in the East, that people would use these things that were called stylists as either a place where You were condemned and you lived out your sentence for as long as possible. And then there were other uh, like aesthetics in the early Christian church that would also use these as a way of escaping from the world and becoming very hungry.
0: (laughs) But have you tried exposure therapy for the phobia?
2: I have not, and honestly, just the thought—just the thought of it—terrifies me. Just, you know what I mean? Like, I, in my mind, I know that a bird cannot do anything to me, especially the ones that I come in contact yeah. with on a, on a regular basis, like pigeons or whatever. But no, I have not. I have not had any therapy like that. Most of my therapy I've gone through has been handling emotional or interpersonal type things but yeah. maybe one of these days. Well, I
1: wonder if you got, like, pecked to death or something because, like, to have that level of fear, you know?
2: Yeah, and I, the only thing that I could think of is that I was waiting to die because I could, I could feel my lips. Like, when your lips are so dry and cracked and thirsty, I could feel that in the dream. So it may have been that while my body was in the process of dying, these birds that do what they do, vultures or whatever we're coming to clean up the mess and I just wasn't ready yet. And so it traumatized my spirit.
0: Just if you were to do exposure therapy and just because phobias, I've had a number of real phobias and OCD, which are very linked to phobias. If you were to get treatment for it and do exposure therapy and it worked would that in any way conflict with your feeling like you had to unburden yourself from that source point of the original trauma, or would it just feel like you, now moved through it in the present
2: day. I see, I think it would have probably just been like, hey, I've finally moved through this because ultimately I believe that all of our traumas, whether physical or on a spiritual level, as we're departing this life or coming into another one, you know, we're we're perfectly aware as we're coming in and as we're going out. You know, it's where in the life where we forget. You know, it's not like it's shielded from us. We've just forgotten. And so I just feel like that we're supposed to live the best, happiest life that we can live. I believe that that's our birthright. I believe that we're not supposed to struggle necessarily except for maybe advancement, you know, somehow advancing ourselves, evolving to the best individual that we can be. And that is going to involve some type of friction and some type of pressure, you know, but ultimately I believe that spirit or the divine or whatever you want to call it, yeah. intends for us to be happy, healthy, and whole. And that takes, I believe, multiple existences because we're just trying to evolve. I mean, if you if you think about us evolving from the lowest life form in as an amoeba in the waters of creation, to where we are now, a lot of, I'm not going to curse, a lot of crap has happened to get to this point point. Yeah. and a lot more crap we will continue to go through. But I believe ultimately the creator, the divine, he, she, it wants us to be happy, healthy, and whole because I believe that he, she, and or it, whatever you want to call it, some call it God, is living its experience through and as us.
0: Then, hmm. obviously, we are in a dark place. <laughs> we are in a horrible time. And I'm just curious, why would that concept start with the amoeba becoming us, sort of this continuum that's so based on the eons before the amoeba and the more of the eternity of existence rather than the concept of like starting from a then and developing to a now be something so linear. I have to just say that I truly believe we're not evolving towards something. We are a branch out situation and there is no end goal that improves us. Hopefully we just evolve in ways that make us less catastrophic to self, others, and planet. But I think that is
1: evolving. That is like evolving to a higher consciousness, And we are better off in a lot of ways. The fact that you and I are not indentured wife slaves, like just shows that the culture that we're in now treats women better, at least in our country, slightly better. So I think there is evolution. I think a lot of shit is going wrong, but like that's my belief is that we're evolving towards higher consciousness and that things aren't necessarily linear, but that they are in a general trend moving towards that.
2: I completely agree with that. I, I bristle at this idea of a linear evolutionary concept. I don't believe that we started necessarily at one space and we will finally finish at something else. I see it more as a spiral. There is a beginning point. However, because of my belief in spirituality, in, in spiritualism specifically, I don't believe that there ever will be an ending point. I believe it will be this one beautiful, cacophonous cycle that continues to go around and around. That's basically also where I bring in these ideas of paganism and witchcraft, Mm. that there is a continuous cycle, life, death, and rebirth, life, death, and rebirth, life, death, and rebirth. And each time, something more beautiful comes about, you know, just... The piece of fruit falls to the ground and it rots, but the seed gets embedded into the ground and another tree comes forth. You and I, we go through this life. We do it the best that we can. One of these days, we're going to lay low. We're going to be felled and buried in the ground. or scattered to the four winds, but our contribution will continue in our next existence and part of our contribution that we did in this life will be a stepping stone into the next so whether we're the seed that's planted in the ground something beautiful will grow from that whether we're scattered to the four winds something beautiful will come of that
1: i don't know how you feel about this but i think in a lifetime you can potentially fail and really fuck it up but you have the next lifetime to make amends and that's why karma exists
2: Well, if you think about it, it's also grace. How much more grace can you get? While I grew up around spiritualism, my religion that I was brought up in was the Mormon church. And they were always talking about grace, 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 grace. And this is probably not the best example of a church that preaches grace but doesn't really show it, because as far as their theology is concerned, there's not really a hell, so that's not a big deal. But there's so many churches out there that say grace, unmerited favor, yet you mess up one time in 85, 90 years, you're consigned to hellfire forever. That just boggles the mind. That's not grace at all. What grace says is even though you probably don't deserve it based on what you've done, there's a doorway to Reformation that never closes. So my favorite principle that is basically in every spiritualist movement worded in various ways is that the doorway to reformation is never closed against any soul here or hereafter.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the principle of course in miracles too. Mm -hmm. Every moment is like the moment where you can have a miracle and love can be let in. Like you can shut the door for 30 years and then the next day decide to let it in and like all is forgiven the second that you decide you want it to be. And I don't know. When you're in a really dark place, it can be pretty abstract, but also I think it's useful if you know how to
0: engage with that. Did you have to leave the Mormon church?
2: So, yes. It, essentially, I served a mission. I Now, my family has been involved in Mormon, my mom's family specifically, Mormon royalty. You know, They were handcart pioneers. They left... East and pushed hand carts all the way to the Salt Lake Valley.
1: Wait, what does that mean?
2: Uh, So in the Mormon church, there are people that we call pioneers that were driven out of Missouri and back East. There was actually an extermination order against my ancestry, against my people. And there was all out war on the Mormons. Wow. If you look at history, there could be some good reasons. But my ancestors were driven out of those communities in the East. And they left in such haste that there were no horses or anything like that. Most of them were very poor anyway. And so they pushed hand carts, like pushed, all the way from Missouri, Illinois, that area, all the way to Salt Lake City. So that's the history that I come from. I served a mission. I came out before that. But I was told, keep it on the hush-hush, serve your mission, you may change your mind, this is just a phase, blah, 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 and you'll still get married in the temple, and you'll have an eternal family, and all of this kind of crap, and when I came back from the mission, I was like, nope, I'm still gay, and I'm moving to Austin. So for 17 years, I spent my gay life in Austin. I did try to go back to the Mormon church a couple of times because it's so ingrained in you and it feels comfortable. It's like the grilled cheese and tomato soup on a cold day.
0: Know.
2: Very family centric. And in a lot of ways, it's very spiritualistic. But ultimately, it just was not going to work for me. And I'm thankful to not be there. So I made the choice to leave rather than get kicked out.
0: I've only had third party interactions with the Mormon church and it, I'm very obviously suspicious of it because of stance on, you know, LGBTQIA issues. And, you know, this is weird, but it's the, the most intimate experience I had was I dated somebody who was ex-Mormon and had been exiled by their family and basically had become, and I'm not blaming this directly, Because you can't really blame addiction on one thing, but a really serious porn addict because of like how regressive and repressive the the discussion of sexuality and how much it had to be suppressed in order to function and that it really just like fucked him up to like high heaven and back. It just was like
2: kind of a nightmare. Without a doubt, it is a very high control group. In so many ways, it's it's awful. In so many ways, it's good. <laughs> and in so many ways, because it does have its own culture, just like Catholicism or Judaism or the Eastern Orthodoxy, Hinduism, it does have its own culture. So Mormonism is not really Protestant Christian at all. Most Christians would say they're not even Christian at all. But it, I think what I miss the most when I'm having my nostalgic days, and I'm like, snap out of it, Cody. But when I'm having my nostalgic days, I miss the culture of what it means to be Mormon. Because, honestly, I'm just going to say it. It may be an unpopular opinion, but it's true. For a white person, there's not very much culture that we have, you know, outside of our smaller communities that are maybe culty I do miss the, the culture of what it means to be a Mormon sometimes but I can do it without the jello
1: my cousin's best friend is Mormon and and I've also worked for Mormons like randomly at jobs they're always really really warm and nice
2: oh yeah because ultimately if you're not a Mormon you're seen as a potential a. And then B, you know, they, they want to really put forward this idea. And it's not, a, it's not an act at all. But they want to put forward this idea that family is everything and that kindness is free and always choose the right path. And that's kind of a part of our subculture. It, it,
0: it's a really interesting, there's not that much access to people who were inside the Mormon church.
2: Well, honey, there are some stories there.
0: Two things really quick. One is, I mean, I do think the culture of whiteness is so dominating and so forcefully, hierarchically overshadowing that we feel like it's not there because it's everywhere. It just, you know, it eats things alive. I agree. But it's been so conflated with capitalism. I don't think you
1: can blame someone who isn't satisfied by what is known as white culture because it it is materialistic it's inherent in white bread or things that are mass produced like it doesn't have the old world connection to whatever we came from it's not right. as
0: connected to that as maybe well, it has the cultural legacy of colonialism yeah. it has the flavor of colonialism there we go and like, that it's sort of the aspects of domination but yeah
1: i actually got flack for that i was the one of two americans in a feminist reading group in london and we read this like scholarly article on this exact subject. And I was like, emphasizing a little bit too much with this example of a woman who was like not satisfied with white bread as her culture. And I was like, yeah, well, it, that is sad that that's what we now have, but I was not welcomed to share that. And I understand why that
2: made no, And honestly, I'll, I'll backpedal just a little bit. I agree with all of those statements. And I do believe that because white cult, it, it is so overarching and is tied in with capitalism, I agree with that 100%. It's also tied in with this idea of the Protestant work ethic. I think what I meant to say, or to highlight, is by and large, white culture is not so family-oriented. It's individualistic. It is, I'm going to do this for me, and to heck with everybody else, even if that means, you know, to heck with the rest of my family, even, because it's all about me.
1: And I think that's an American white thing.
2: I agree with that. And under the Mormon umbrella, you have a much more direct approach through family and through family lines there are some families that will throw away their kids for being gay but they're never ever going to put grandma in a nursing home Mm. you know it's a weird line that they walk i will say in my family even though i am who i am i think my family has more problems with me practicing witchcraft than they do me being gay
1: well that's good i guess with Eric. Maybe we could use that as a segue into talking a little bit about your witchiness or your wickedness. Maybe you can describe the type of practice that you engage in and how you got there.
2: It has been a process, Sarah. I first decided, well, around 1997, I approached my grandmother and said, hey, I love all this spiritualist stuff. I'd already attended several seances. You know, she taught me how to meditate and receive messages. And we practiced all the time. So it was a wonderful. I I would hang out with her with the promise, you're not going to do any of that weird stuff. Oh, and then that's exactly what we did. And so learning the religion and learning to meditate and learning to be comfortable with who I am as a person, and to receive messages. I finally realized that even coming out of the church that I was coming out of, I wouldn't feel necessarily 100% at home in that tradition. It would satisfy a lot of the boxes. It would check a lot of the boxes, but it wasn't going to check all of them. And so I told my grandmother, I said, listen, I'm really interested in Wicca. And she said, The best thing anybody can say, well, let's get some books. And there was only one occult shop about 25 miles outside of my hometown in a little community that was surrounded by a large military base in Texas, Fort Hood. And we went there. And I hit it off immediately with the shop owner. She was a awesome eco-feminist witch. And she gave me my first book of witchcraft, The Witch's Bible, by Janet Farrar, the Farrars. And it was fantastic. They were Alexandrian Wiccans, which is a denomination within Wicca that focuses on an orthodox approach to the Wiccan religion. And I studied, and got more books. And I ran across a book by Raymond Buckland called Buckland's Complete Guide to Witchcraft. It's a big blue book. And those of us in the craft call it Uncle Bucky's Blue Book. And I used that for a year and a day because in Wiccan ideals, you don't just read a book and say, okay, I'm a witch now or I'm a Wiccan. You actually commit to a full... Lunar cycle, a year and a day, and I self dedicated myself to the craft on Samhain, nineteen ninety eight. So uh, it would be the equivalent to Halloween around the thirty first of October. But I self dedicated myself to the craft. Then I remember finishing my dedicatory ritual and opening my eyes and say, "Yep." Yeah, This is home. This shit is home. And I felt so good and I felt a connection with the divine, even though at that time the divine was still very nebulous in my head. I was still approaching the divine from a very spiritualistic standpoint, which is this pervading energy that spiritualists call infinite intelligence, that it is there. and so that's how I was still approaching the divine but maybe a story for another time or whatever I did eventually reach actual connection with the gods as it as it were Which they what? were real individuals.
0: We would love that story. Describe that moment like what is what does that look like to you?
2: Well, so after th- this point, I still went through high school. I finished high school. I was the the Wiccan Mormon. My close friends knew I was a witch because I would hide my pentacle, like, way down underneath all of my clothes, right? And I remember being so afraid that, like, it would be caught in pictures or my mom would see it or whatever. And so I just kept it very hidden, way underneath everything, and at school, I would bring it out around my friends. I'd be like, yeah, I'm witch, what, you know? Were you out at that time? I was. I mean, I had, a, I had a very small group of friends, and they all knew that I was queer as a $3 bill. And, you know, they all knew that I did magic and lit candles and prayed to the elements and all kinds of stuff like that. And they also knew that my grandmother was really woo-woo and weird.
1: And was she part of the Mormon side of your family? No,
2: so- Doesn't
0: sound like it.
2: (laughs) This is my dad's mom, who was actually nominally a Roman Catholic. My grandmother's side specifically is from England and her husband, his side is from Scotland, but her husband, my grandfather, migrated to the U.S. during World War II so that he could join the U.S. Army, lied about his age and joined the army to fight Nazis and so they met here but he came from England he came he came from a place called Blyth which is on the northeast coast of England it's in northumbria
1: she didn't hold that against him as a scottish woman
2: no, no no she was a british woman so my grandmother even though her family history is from england cornwall her surname was morris but her family had been in the in the united states for over a century and a half, my grandfather is Scottish. Uh, Blair B L A I R is a is a Scottish name, but his branch of the Blairs had lived in Northern England for something like 400 years. Oh, okay. My grandmother's people had been in Texas since the Republic days. So, anyway, lots of history there. But she was nominally a Roman Catholic. My grandfather grew up within the Spiritualist. And Anglican traditions in England. And he ended up converting to the Catholic Church to marry her, of course. And then several years later, she kind of stopped going to church except on the important days. And she opened up her own chapel inside her home and had students. But it was a mixture of Catholicism and spiritualism. It was a very lovely. You know, there would be mediums and there would be prayers and they would say the rosary. So it was a hybrid Catholic spiritualism.
0: Your path is really tied to your ancestors' path, trying to redefine and then represent in a leadership role what spirituality is and creating a place for people who want to inquire about it yes. in a way. Your story seems like their story and their story seems like yours it's
2: so bizarre, because you're right. And I feel like that the more connected I became to my ancestral past, I realized that I am the sum total of all of these people that stand behind me. And, you know, even talking about stuff like this, I feel them come through so very strongly. But to speed it up and answer your question, I was out doing some mediumship Work While I lived in Austin, there was a time period there. That's the only type of work I did. And I had a client who called me up. I was all word of mouth. There was absolutely no advertisements. My clients were all word of mouth. And so there was this woman who I did not know, but I had been referred to her. Yeah. She calls me over. I pull up at her house. I'm getting out of my car, and I'm beginning to walk up her steps, which is an incline that's pretty high for Austin. It's the hilly city in some aspects. So I'm walking up this hill, and all of a sudden, I feel like my head is in a bicycle. Mm. I feel like so much pressure. My head is just absolutely going to crack. Yeah. And I finally get to her door and I would made up my mind. I am going to tell her I just can't do this today. I'm so sorry. I'll refund your money. I've got to go. As soon as she opened the door and she said, oh, won't you come in? That pressure totally disappeared. Uh, what yeah. the heck is going on? So she invited me into her parlor. I sit down in her room and we start going through the process of mediumship reading and we get involved in it. And I see this beautiful lady, gorgeous. She's blonde. She's shining like so much bright, light, like LED, like it's bright. And this woman looks at me and as she begins to speak, I feel a lot of emotion welling up. Inside of me, and I begin to explain to this woman who I'm seeing and what I'm seeing. And I'm thinking it's one of her ancestors, right? I'm thinking, oh, this is somebody that she definitely knows. And she's just saying, mm hmm, mm hmm, yeah, okay. And I give the message, and honestly, I don't really remember what the message is at all. But I open my eyes, and the lady said, listen, you did not bring forward any of my loved ones, but you did bring forward my goddess. Oh and I thought, what the hell are you talking about? Well, it turns out the woman that I'm reading for is a witch and she worships the goddess Hecate. And this beautiful aspect, because Hecate is a triple goddess, this beautiful aspect is one of her aspects, this beautiful, shining maiden type aspect. Yeah. And she said, You describe exactly how I see her to a T. And I said, well, I, I'm a Wiccan. And she was like, oh, you are? I said, yeah, I am. And we begin to talk. She said, well, who's your patron or patroness or whatever? I said, I don't even know what you're, I, I don't have anything like that. I'm, I worship just the divine, all of it. It's male and female. She said, no, sweetie, there's, you can go deeper. You can dig a little deeper. From that moment, though, Hecate has been my homegirl. Oh, she has... Yeah claimed me as her own, and I'm going to tell you this right now. She has defended me in every battle that I've ever been, mm. been in, and I realize now that these personages, these entities, these deities are not only collectively divine, but they are individuals, and they're real individuals.
1: And... I have two questions on that. One, when you do a session, like you usually have some kind of match where there's something about the reading that you're giving that you're receiving from it. So do you think you Mm -hmm. did that reading specifically to get connected with Hecate? I
2: believe that she was instrumental and orchestrated the entire event. Yeah. Because yeah. the woman that I was reading for said out of the blue she just felt that it was appropriate to get in contact with a medium. She just really felt that and my name was dropped in her lap. Remember, I don't do any advertisements. Right. And that. I also yeah.
0: feel like the there's nothing more focusing than pain. When you feel physical pain, there's only one place for you to be and that's in that physical pain. It's horrible. It absorbs and brings you right there. There's nothing. And to have that moment of transition from physical pain, it reminds me of when I was giving birth to my son and you have the contractions and there's not even language to describe the pain. I don't even know what that was. It's not on a human scale, but like when... (laughs) <laughs> it stops. You're transcended into this other receptive state, which is called I'm not in pain. <laughs> have that yeah. like, a shift right there. And there's nothing you can intellectually do. The moment between in pain and out of pain is very real. And it puts you in a place
2: it absolutely is. And it come to find out, I believe what I was experiencing is this woman of course had set magical wards around her home.
1: Oh interesting. And
2: until I was invited in, That's- I was because of who I am, I embodied this idea of a psychic, of medium, of someone who walks between two worlds, which, you know, all of those titles I take on myself. Well, if you're setting up these energetic wards, People like me are going to set them off. Those are alarms that are going to be set off because magic is neither good nor bad. It's all in the intention. And if my intention is to protect my shit, if somebody is coming up that has the potential to cause damage to my shit, then I'm targeted, (laughs) you know, I'm targeted. But when she said, oh, come on in, she was turning off the spiritual ADT.
1: Well, so that's interesting. I think if you're doing any kind of energy work, or maybe not as disciplined as you could be, like I am still learning. Mm -hmm. I unconsciously will check people's energy and read them without even doing it on purpose. I think just because it was like a survival mechanism growing up. And so I will do that occasionally and then get this wall of sound in my ear. And sometimes like a full facial like electricity surge where I'm just being assaulted by whatever I've hit. And then I've heard that it could be that they set up like a dragon to protect their Mm -hmm. energy field or something where it keeps people from even checking their energy. Like I had a candidate, I have a recruiter, and I was recruiting her for an executive assistant role. And as I was entering information about her, like writing her name or something, I must have checked in because I got that. And I was like, ah, like, (laughs) but it was so powerful even just doing that. I didn't ask if she was a witch, but I should.
2: Some people can be very witchy and not know it. Mm. You know, you don't always have to have the altar with the skulls and bones and stones and roots and all of that stuff. You can be a very natural witch that says, you know, I'm protecting myself from all this shit. And then all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, my God, I can't get near this person unless they invite me in. You know, they didn't realize they did it, but they did it. Do you set that up for yourself then? I do. I think that psychic hygiene is Mm. just as important as brushing your teeth. I think that we would be foolish living in a city like Los Angeles to go to bed with our doors wide open. So I'm going to lock my door. I'm going to physically lock my door, but I'm also going to energetically lock my door. And I'm going to set up in witchcraft, we call it wards. I'm going to ward my property on the four corners of my property, you know, there may or may not be things that are buried. Underneath my doormat, there might be a knife, you know, and the knife is not to attack you physically with, it's to cut whatever energy is coming up here that's not great for me. Also, a lot of witches, as soon as you walk in the door, the first thing that you're going to meet is a mirror right in your face. Because if you make eye contact with the mirror, I got you. Entering my home, you're in a subservient type of I'm the king of this domicile. That's so aggressive. <laughs> I know. But the facts are that you can't be too cautious these days mm-hmm. because, like we mentioned earlier, we're going through a time period where, I, for me, peace and harmony in the atmosphere of my home is paramount. Mm-hmm. I can't have anything other than that. And if any energy is going to come into my home... That may disturb that harmony, that may disturb that peaceful energy. I'm going to address it first on. And you'll always be welcome. Like there will always be a welcoming uh, because paganism also teaches hospitality. Like that is when you do hospitality to others, you're doing it unto the gods. And so as you bring someone into your home and you offer them a cup of tea, that is a devotional act. But with all the other energy that they may or may not know that they're carrying. That's what I'm being aggressive against in the word kind of to play off of what was said in mommy dearest. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the dirt. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at that shitty energy that you're bringing in that you don't even know anything about.
1: Wow. And so what's a good practice for like the average non-witch? What could we just do today to set up some protections on our home?
2: the best thing that you could do right now today is when you sit for prayer or meditation or whatever, I want you to see a three-sphered circle of light, three-layered. So you're going to have your immediate circle, you're going to have another circle, and you're going to have another circle branching out because you want to get a good perimeter on your home. And then just make the intention. My home is protected from anything that is not for my highest and best good. And once you've done that, and the reason I say three is because that's tied to the Wiccan read, where the Wiccan read says, cast the circle thrice about to keep the evil spirits out. So I always, if I'm casting a circle or not, I always do things in threes, because three is pretty important to the witchcraft community. So I do it in threes. They've got to get through three layers to get to me. And then you can do something as simple as just putting some salt across your threshold or pulling from different traditions. You can do a rosemary plant at your entrance. Oh. Any of these protective herbal things, you can do that. Just set the perimeter. And then if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can do things you know, like a little bit of eggshell. You know, recycle that and put it underneath your doormat to keep some of the nasties out. And then on a regular basis, clean your house. Clean it. Because no matter how good you are at warding your home, there's going to be little particles that get in. Just like when we walk from our car to the house, we're always going to bring a little bit of dust and schmutz and all this stuff into our house. Sweep that shit out. Sweep the energy out.
1: I am constantly getting messages from my guides to clean and my house Mm -hmm. isn't dirty, but even the psychic dirtiness of leaving dishes in the sink overnight, which I do occasionally, I I get a lot of flack for that.
2: Something as simple as getting a little Florida water. And what's that? You know, it's, It's a cologne. It's, it's drawn from the botanical, sometimes the hoodoo, southern conjure tradition, things of that. They'll use it as a spiritual cologne and it smells really good. It's basically the same thing as doing sage. I don't, I'm not a big fan of white sage. I have just a little bit that I don't want to throw away. So I am going to finish that off, but. I'm beginning to have a little bit more problems with the use of white sage in my personal practice. So I use a little bit of Florida water with the idea that it's going to do the same thing that burning a little white sage would do. Not only that, it smells better to me.
0: I can't burn anything just BTW because of asthma. And so when I've been in situations (laughs) where people are like, I'm cleaning it. And I'm like, I now have to go on steroids for like two weeks
2: because the particles just
0: like kill me. But just shout out to anybody else who has been in like a very sort of spiritual moment and somebody burned something and you're like,
2: fuck. No, I totally understand that. And there are different ways to approach that. Put it in your mop wall when you're mopping your floor.
0: We were just talking, as you know, with Shannon, and we were talking about connecting with celebrities as spiritual deities. And we heard a story about a woman who, who and I lead my spiritual life basically through Freddie Mercury, but this woman who had Freddie Mercury appear in her kitchen and it's a longer story and it's amazing. But I was very struck by there is like the figure materializing the, you know, the goddess who appeared in front of you and then the goddess of Freddie appearing in front of this woman. But having it in your visual sight is so powerful. And it's just one Mm -hmm. of our senses that we don't always tie into our spiritual lives because it's so few that like the metaphysical world materializes in
2: that way. I think that there is something to seeing is believing. I don't have to see it to believe it, but it definitely solidifies my belief when I do.
1: And so just to clarify, like with your practice, like with Hikate. Mm -hmm. did you see her with your eyes or with your third eye?
2: I don't know where you're at in the process, Sarah, yet, but people that have been friends with me for a long time, I will ask them sometimes when we're driving down the road, Adair gets it a lot. Like, did you see that person? Okay, if you saw it, then they're physically there. (laughs) So I have to ask them because a lot of times I will see someone in front of me. And there will be hints that it is someone that I'm seeing with my mind's eye, or someone that I'm seeing with my physical eyes. But I feel like I've been doing this for so long, sometimes the two feel so connected that it feels right in front of me, like Mm -hmm. I can reach out and grab this person, this entity, this thing. So I'm really not certain. I don't know. I am inclined to believe it was a mind's eye or third eye sighting, but I'm not 100% sure.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I'm mostly not of the position where things come into my eyeball sight. I occasionally get that like out of the corner that I think there's a person there. Like I was at a store a couple of days ago and I was like, oh, there's a person there. And then there wasn't. And then you always wonder, like, is that just a shadow or whatever? And I didn't really get into it any further. But I do have people in my class that are like, oh, and I saw this with my eyes for the first time versus like, normally I have to sit and meditate in my room, you know, in the dark to see anything. I
2: feel like for me, I'm not 100% sure. Because like I said, the integration between third eye and physical eye, yeah. because our sight is supposed to become singular. Right. And I had a teacher tell me one time that says, listen, if you're a clairvoyant, it should be to the point to where you've worked it so much that you don't know whether or not the spirit has materialized in front of you or if it has not. Yeah. Because you're, it's so interconnected and you're so in the moment because I don't, I have not once except for now thought to see it am I really seeing you guys? Oh, of course I'm seeing you. It's the same way. I don't go through the process of saying, well, I'm seeing you through my natural eyes and I get the reverse image in my brain and all of this stuff and it somehow comes together. I think that once you've done this for so long that an and entity may come through third eye sight, but it's so integrated into a singular sight that you can't really describe from whence it comes.
0: And I want to distinguish it, obviously, from somebody who's having a psychosis, you know. And-
2: 100%. I, I believe that being a psychic or a medium is walking a fine line between sanity and insanity. That may be a topic for another time, but... You have to lose yourself in some way. Once you're initiated into a path, you have to lose yourself. So if you think about initiation rituals, and I'm not talking about just baptism or things like that, but I'm talking about like these more indigenous peoples that do these coming of age ceremonies, where the ceremony is meant to mark the actual death of the adolescence and the birth into adulthood. And it's usually very dramatic, and sometimes it's also usually utilizing these psychedelic type drugs and things like that, which bring you to the brink of insanity. You know what I mean? That that outside of normal, everyday, normal, quote unquote, everyday thinking. So I feel the same way. Once you're initiated kind of into this spiritual life, that you walk this fine line between What is considered insanity and what is considered absolutely sane. And I mean, the name of the show is the side woo. They don't call it woo woo for nothing.
0: I mean, we talk a lot about the intersection of mental health and spirituality and Mm -hmm. how, you know, things that are seen as spiritual quest to one person might definitely seen as signs of extreme mental illness to somebody else. And these things are not obviously clear cut. Like Mm -hmm. there are not definitive answers or fetishizing people who are Mm -hmm. schizophrenic, who are being tortured. It's also
1: been the dialogue that potentially mental health breakdowns are more complex then we know, partly because you can't ask the unreliable narrator of someone going through a mental health breakdown to really truly know what's going on with them. You know, if you know about psychic attacks, you can conjecture that potentially there's something going on. But also, I think so much of it is as the person knowing your inner compass, and establishing your own reality, and then hoping that aligns with everyone else's realities or at least enough so that you can function in the world. And that's not necessarily something you can ask someone having a schizophrenic breakdown to do. And Absolutely. there's no other way to go in and access information really other than being that person. Right. Unless there is, in which case I mean
2: I could say a lot of things, but it would be total conjecture because I'm not a mental health professional. But I think there are a lot of people that are diagnosed as being mentally ill for lack of a for lack of a better term. When in, in actuality, there might be just an unexplained way of thinking or an unexplained experience that they're having that's very real. You know, but if I were to go to a mental health professional and be like, listen, I talk to dead people, they'd be like, we need to get you on med's stats.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's something where I've been trying to figure out, like, how do I go to therapy now? Who do I go to that is a safe space? And how much do I talk about with them because of what you just said?
2: I believe that being in 2022 and being in a place like Los Angeles, there are probably lots of people out there that are more open than they were, say, 25 years ago. Right.
0: I also think it's no different than, like, if I search for a therapist, like, I need somebody who knows how to deal with chemical dependency, I need somebody who knows how to mm-hmm. deal with bipolar, right. I need somebody who knows how to eating disorder, like, I need somebody who knows how to deal with OCD, and just, like, I need an experienced effort, you know, and it's a very legitimate to say, I need to find somebody who can see me as whole, bringing what I bring to the table and not be confused yeah. by the nature of what I am bringing to them. Yeah, I There is something I've been dying to ask. Is that, yeah. can I just do a quickie? Just a quick little left turn. So yeah. I was listening to one of your interviews last night and you were talking about how to have, and this ties into sobriety, but how to have the spiritualist churches have more autonomy on the ground level so that they're driven by mm-hmm. the congregation and not driven by mm-hmm. the, the top down. And like, so where's the strength mm-hmm. of the organization coming from? And I have to say, AA has an amazing model for how to have a centralized organization that doesn't have its hands on a day-to-day level in a congregation and how it functions. So there's like the the 12 steps, which are the steps to you and sobriety, but then there's Mm -hmm. the steps for the meetings and how they function with the organization of Alcoholics Anonymous and running it so that, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't be brought into politics. You're not supposed to talk about it on podcasts, for instance. I'm breaking a tradition. There's literally like you should not talk about it at the level of press, radio, film. But that's just because that was a while ago. This is breaking one of the tenets of it. Um, Wait, why? Because they don't want anybody to become a representative of the 12 steps. Because people are people and ah. They also don't want it to be drawn. Well, Mark Marin really blew that one wide well, open. Well, I mean, so. we all have. You know, we speak to the public <laughs> in many different ways. The other thing is they don't want it to intersect with any type of. It says politics, organization, or religion. It's very important that it mm. stay oh, wow. in what is considered a neutral space. But all mm-hmm. of these tenants, they are. Spelled out the relationship. You cannot make money from it. But it even says you can have central administrative workers who do make money because we need those people to run the organization. But at the local level, sure. you can't. Anyway, yeah. the point was: I was like, dude, the the way the 12-steps, the organization is set up is so similar to what you were saying you wanted as mm-hmm. a vision for how your spiritualist church is set up that I just wanted to throw right. that out
2: there. I appreciate that because, you know, honestly, we should be united around principles and spiritualists have principles. That's usually what they agree on. I currently am running an online community that we're trying to get off the ground. Eventually, there might be a spiritualist center that will open in the greater Los Angeles area, hopefully, if that's the way spirit leads. But we're trying to move away from the spiritualist church and from the predominant organization in this country into a ground-up approach where the democratic process will be 100% part of our governance, because what should unite us is principles rather than a set of doctrine or dogma or...
0: Okay, and this is the last time I talked about it, but we play. This is in the Alcoholics Anonymous thing. We place principles mm-hmm. before personalities. That is written. In Absolutely.
2: Anyway, I, I I appreciate that because I I also view myself as approaching spirituality from like the Unitarian Universalist part, and which is very principle-driven rather than creed or dogma or people or anything like that. So when I was forming these different organizations, it was through the lens of how does the UUA do what they do? Because they typically set up healthy congregations that are, rather than personality, doctrine, or or dogma based they are principle based and they are living tradition based you know these the 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 principles and the the traditions or i can't remember the word that they use but anyway it's basically what you're saying that there are people that could be set up on a pedestal but under this particular way of doing spiritual community or whatever that is not possible we're just not going to open the door for that Yeah, so thank you. That I will definitely look into that because that's what we want, especially in this spiritual community as it continues to grow.
1: I love that. I feel like you were just channeling that for him. Yeah,
2: I need that for sure.
1: I guess in terms of just wrapping things up, like what kind of we already talked a little bit about like energetic health, but like what kind of self-care do you do for yourself as someone who's probably so highly sensitive to the world around you?
2: I think it's always important to take time for yourself and whatever that looks like, be okay with it and don't apologize. If you need to sleep for 13 hours one day, do it. If you uh, need to take a bubble bath and listen to some Michael Buble, go for it. You know, take care of yourself. What I would encourage people not to do is self-medicate. I would encourage you not to do that with food, with drink, with whatever. Try your best to keep an an even mind in all things. Um, One of the, the spiritual pioneers of the spiritualist movement, Andrew Jackson Davis, in his seminal work, The Magic Staff, he says, in all things, keep an even mind. And so I would say, I would echo his words from the spirit realm, and all things keep an even mind. Don't go too far out this direction or too far out that direction. But I think the, the best way to take care of yourself as a sensitive person, or as a person who is a burgeoning spiritual, a spiritual person, or a burgeoning sensitive person, Just take care of yourself. Do whatever feels good for you in the moment and don't let yourself feel guilty. I feel like that society is always driving us to continually be doing something and it's okay to not do shit. Mm
0: -hmm. It's okay.
2: It's okay to let things go for a day or so and then pick it back up. But keep your space clean because you'll feel better. Keep your place uncluttered because you'll feel better and the energy will flow better. But if you need some sleep, if you need some rest, if you need to kick up your feet and just watch TV all day, do it. Take care of yourself. It's all right. And I've had to stop apologizing for taking care of myself.
0: Um, so are people allowed to get in touch with you? Because I heard you do a reading of somebody and I was like kind of blown away by it. And I'm like, of course, I want to get
2: a reading from you at
0: some point. Can people like pay you to do readings? Is that part of yeah. what you do? Okay.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, um, I, I do, uh, I'm trying to establish myself in Los Angeles because I don't have any clientele here really.
0: I'm in uh, Oakland, but Sir I, I Sarah and I span all of California. Th-
2: that's, a, that's okay. I, I can span, I can span everyone. Um, but I I'm trying to establish myself here. I do have some folks that from Texas that still reach out, But um, yes, the answer to that question is absolutely my email can be put out there. That's the easiest way to get in contact with me because I work and I'm also a, a student as well. So I'm busy and just trying to do life here. But anytime anybody needs readings, I always set up a few days a week for that Usually in the evenings and Sunday is usually fully open. But yeah, people can get in contact with me. And the best way to do that is through email. Just put in the subject line. Hey, I need a reading.
1: What's your email? Do you want to just read it here? Yeah,
2: I'll read it out. But If y'all want to put it in the show notes as well, you can.
0: It will be in the show notes.
2: It's Cody, C-O-D-Y, B as in Bob or my last name, Blair. So Cody, C-O-D-Y, B-L-R at iCloud.com.
1: Nice. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. This was so interesting and we- Thank you, I
2: hope it didn't go all over the place.
1: No, this
0: was amazing. That's the point of it. We're we're meander. <laughs> we like to kind of topic jump and to let it be naturally flowy. this was awesome.
2: I, I think it's awesome. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you. It was such an honor and I had a great time. I'm gonna
0: be reaching out.
2: That's
1: all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts,
0: Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the Woo.